Uh, let's get into the Word of God. Last week we talked about the power of agreement, and that's one reason why it's important to come together on Sunday mornings. Uh, not because, you know, you can't necessarily find Sunday morning church in the Bible. You know, matter of fact, they met every evening at somebody's home, and then they would go to temple and so they got kicked out of temple because the Jews were upset that their fellow Jews were becoming Christians. So, so they would kick them out sometimes. Um, but it's important for us to get together at some point and collectively because we need to not only agree on the word of God, but there's some things I need you to agree with me on and I need to agree with you on about the word of God because there's something powerful that takes place. Today, we're going to talk about another power and it's the power of atonement. The power of atonement. That's a, and it's, it's a... It's a core principle to Christianity. And if you are a believer in Christ today, you actually have been atoned. You actually walk in atonement, whether you realize it or not. Uh, and so what I want to do is just unpack this word a little bit. We could spend weeks and weeks on the concept of atonement. It is so rich. It is so powerful. It is so incredible. Uh, we're going to try to condense some things down to about 20, 30 minutes today. And, and uh, uh, there are three main points about atonement that if I can get you to get those three points, then you'll be walking good. Have, have you ever maybe bought a brand new car with all the new technology out there or maybe got a new phone or, or a new tablet or laptop or whatever and, you know, your, your child comes along? I just downloaded whatever this latest update with iPhone is, what is it, iOS 16, whatever that is that just came out. I don't know. And so... My youngest, Lily, got my phone and said, hey, I want to do something for you. And I don't know, she tricked up my lock screen, you know, made it look all kind of crazy. And she goes, isn't that cool? <laughs> I was like, that, my phone can do that now? I had no clue it could do that. Uh, now, I don't know if I would label it as cool what she did to it, but to her it was cool. So, hey, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll let there be some appreciation. Sometimes the things that God has done for us as believers, we get to walk in it, and we have no clue just how incredible and mind-blowing and solid and, and infinite it is that he did for us. Atonement is one of those things. It's a nice church word, right? It's some, you hear it when you go to church, the atonement, the atoning blood of Jesus, atonement this, atonement that. But sometimes we don't really know what atonement really means. In, in the most common sense, it means uh, it, it means to make up for something, okay? For instance, uh, just to, you know, we were about three hours outside of uh, home, right? And look, my daughter's all embarrassed right now. You don't have to be embarrassed. <laughs> so so uh, Erica, myself, Riley, we were coming back from Indiana. We were about three hours. Sophie gives me a call. She's, she's very upset. And Sophie had been driving my car back and forth to school, She's really upset. She'd been rear-ended. And 16 years old, it's her first accident, right? Everyone remember your first accident? Man, it's just, you know, especially when you're a teenager, you're, what in the world just happened? And, and so, yeah, that's right. See? It, and so she, she's trying to yield to un oncoming traffic as she's supposed to. Whoever was behind her decided, yeah, not to yield. And uh, ran into the back of my car, dented up the, the, the back end pretty good, all that stuff. So she pulls, and to make matters worse, she pulls into the parking lot, you know, right, right there beside her, and the other person decided, not today, and just sped off, right? So, you know, to make matters worse, right? So, so 16 years old, that's her experience. She's upset. 
She shook up. She's looking at my car. Ah, you know, calls me. You know, Dad, I was bad, been hit. And of course, you know, she's upset. So I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? And as she's explaining things, I'm like, look, we can replace, you know, I'm not worried about bumpers and cars. I'm concerned about you. You're okay. That's, that's number one. That's all, I, that's all I care about. Everything else will take place, right? So now let's get into the realm of hypothetical, right? So all of a sudden, like say the next day, uh, Howard calls. It's like, Dave, it was me. I hit Sophie, right? And so, of course, I'm going to be upset. What? Why did you just leave my daughter there? Why did you take off? Well, I kind of freaked out. I was scared or whatever, right? See, I'm getting mad just talking about this hypothetical. Howard, people, are, you're going to be leaving going, Howard, how could you? Right? <laughs> He's like, it's fake news. It wasn't, it wasn't real. Uh, so, so Howard can say, okay, I tell you what, tell you what. No, no, no. I'll pay for the bumper. I'll pay for the, the back hatch door. New paint job. Have a detail. Everything else. Matter of fact, matter of fact, because I know I freaked Sophie out. Like I'm gonna give her 500 bucks. Just, just go do what you want. Go have fun with it. 500 bucks just for just freaking out. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, on the surface, that seems like that should you know he's taking care of everything, right? That should atone for the crime. But the problem is, there's still gonna kind of be some ill feelings, right? Because ultimately, it's like, man, you still left my daughter. You know, you you didn't stop and render aid. So there's weirdness now, right? And so it poisons the environment. So, so that's the problem. And, and especially in the Old Testament, we hear about that, like the sins of people. Like when they were about to enter into the promised land, God said, don't do these things because that's what the folks living in Canaan have done. And they've, because of it, they've cursed the land. In other words, they poison the environment. No matter what they do to try to make themselves right with me, it just, I still can't get past the fact that these crimes were done, right? That's very much a humanly, that's the problem with atonement. Unless you're dealing with God, there's something immaculate that takes place. Not only does he take care of us, but he clears the environment. He clears the air. And we're, that's what we're going to talk about today, okay? So atonement, the word atonement means the way it sounds, at one mint, right? As a believer in Christ, you have now been reconciled with God. We are made one with God. Now, that's good news. Does, is there any lack in God? Is there any weakness in God? Is there... Is there any sorrow in God? No. no. So everything we need, he's a God of more than enough. This incredible God, we have been made one with God. We get to live in God. And that was Jesus' prayer, that we can be one just like he and the Father are one. Isn't that pretty wild? That's some good news. But here's the problem with that. And this lets you know that we're about to get into the power of atonement, just how incredible and what an incredible job God did in allowing us to be one with him. Think about it. Here's the problem. How can imperfect, sinful humans become one with a perfect, sinless God? You have something that is perfect and sinless, and yet you're going to absorb sinful, imperfect humans. It would be 
it would be equivalent to Howard smoking. No, this is a good thing, Howard. I'm praising you now, okay? I, look, I'm over the fact that you hit my daughter, right? I'm over that. It would be like Howard smoking some of his incredible ribs. If you've never had Howard's ribs, they are absolutely amazing. I was in the car one day, and he called me and said, hey, what you doing? I'm, I'm in the car. I got some leftover ribs if you need. I was at his house within seconds. I was like in South Arlington one second, and like two minutes later, I was in front of his house. That's how quick I got there. It would be like Howard's incredible, perfect smoked ribs and someone just coming along and shoveling up a bunch of dirt and putting it on top of it. Say, well, but the ribs are perfect. Well, not anymore, right? You know, how can you mix imperfection with perfection? Or it would be like someone taking a meat lover's pizza and putting pineapple on it, right? I just, I don't know how, right? Maybe that's just my metaphor. <laughs> but how can imperfect sinful humans become one with a perfect sinless God? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about today with atonement. Here's the first point I want you to understand about atonement. And this is so beautiful. Our sins are covered. By atoning us, he has covered our sins. So here's this concept the, the We've talked about it before, the principle of first mention. If you really want to do deep dives in the Word of God and you want to study a concept, you go and you find the first place that that concept or that word uh, is mentioned in the Word of God. And it will show you the core meaning of the word or the concept. And you'll notice throughout the Word of God, it will follow that pattern from Genesis through Revelation. It will follow that pattern. It's really, really cool. So, the first time the word uh, uh, and the concept of atonement actually takes place in Genesis 6.14. This is God speaking to Noah. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, I have uh, highlighted that word cover for a reason. In Hebrew, that word cover is kofar. Uh, uh, you would in the English you would spell it K O P H E R. It looks like kofar, but it's kofar. The word kofar is used a hundred and two times in the Old Testament. You can find the Hebrew word kofar. A hundred and one of those times, it means it's translated in English as atonement. But the first time kofar is used. The English translators use the word right here, cover. Make yourself an ark, a gopher word. Make rooms in the ark and kofar it inside and outside with pitch. It means atonement. Here it means cover. I want you to make this ark and I want you to cover outside and inside with this pitch. It was a protective tar type material that would seal the boat, keep water from leaking in. It would also protect the wood from all the animals that were inside the ark being stored in the ark. So it, it, so atonement, the first concept of atonement is likened to a cover. And, and the concept kind of goes back to Genesis 3. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing they did? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, Genesis 3 and 7, they were open and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So their best efforts to cover their exposure was with actually something that was dying. As soon as they pulled those leaves off the tree, those leaves were dying. So it could only be a temporary fix. Ultimately, only God can cover sins. Look what God did here, Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics or coverings of skin and clothed them. So not only did God cover them, but he also covered their shame. Isn't that wonderful? There's nothing about your past that you have to be ashamed about in Christ Jesus. He gets to, he covers it with his atoning blood, okay? Now, here's, here's the really cool thing about this. He told Noah, I want you to cover or kofar the ark both outside and inside. Can I tell you that when Christ, when God was ready to atone for our sins, he got us covered, both outside and inside. When we talk about sin, there are two main types, two main words that deal with sin throughout the Bible, right? And we're familiar with them. The first word is iniquity. Anyone ever heard that word? Iniquity. It means what it sounds like, iniquity. That means that's internal sins. Before you ever physically commit a sin, you've been pondering it for a while, right? Say, oh, I, I committed this. I didn't even realize it was a sin. Well, it's not a sin if you don't realize it's a sin. That's why the law of God exposed sin. The Bible even said there really wasn't sin until the law of Moses came along. And God said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, right? So before you actually physically commit a sin, you've, you're committing a sin internally. You know, it's when we have thoughts that we ponder on for quite a while. And we let them fester in our mind. Now, we're human. You're always going to have, you're going to battle thoughts. That's where the, the Bible says that the, the mind is the battlefield. You know, there are some days you're going to feel like clobbering someone, right? Someone's going to make you mad. But most of, most of the time, the Holy Spirit pulls us back and says, hey, 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 hey. And you're like, you're right, you're right. Never mind. What a stupid thought. All right, I got to let it go, move on. But it's those times when you just think about it, think about it, think about it, and it causes ought and division and all that, that becomes iniquity. It's happening internally. The next type of sin is transgression. Sometimes the King James calls it trespasses because that's what it is. Trans, which means across, to cross. Gress, which means to, to move. Like, you know, if you digress, you move backwards. You know, if you transgress, that means that you have moved across something. So you've gone across a line that you shouldn't have crossed. That is a transgression, right? You did, you, you're in territory, you are trespassing in territory you should not be, right? That is transgression. Iniquity is sins that take place inside, right? Transgress. So, so if, um, if, if you commit adultery on your spouse, you have crossed a line you shouldn't go. You have transgressed. Jesus said, I tell you, if you look at a woman and lust, you've already committed adultery. Well, what is he saying? That is an iniquity. You've already, in your mind, you've already committed it. In your spirit, in your heart, you have already pondered enough on this. It's not a matter of you saw something and you were tempted and you're, whoa, hey, okay, hang on, hang on. Let me walk, let me walk away. But it's a, you fixated on it. You thought about it. You fantasized about it. He said, well, 
if you've even thought about it, you've already, you've, you didn't have to transgress. You've already committed the sin internally. So it's, it's a iniquity. All right, everyone understand those concepts? We good? And yet God told Noah to kofar the ark inside and out, right? I love this, Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. What is that? Outward sins. He was bruised for our inward sins, iniquity. Wounds typically are outward injuries, right? So he was wounded for everything we would outwardly do. For our inward sin, what is a bruise? It is internal injury or bleeding, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? To take care of our transgressions, he was wounded outwardly. To take care of our internal sins, he allowed himself to be bruised or internally injured. Ooh, that's beautiful. That is absolutely amazing. He kufared us, he covered us inside and out. Our sins are washed away. He has covered our sins. Man, that's incredible. Point number two, this is why I want you to get about atonement, at one mint. How are we one with God? How can we be imperfect and sinful and he's perfect and non-sinful, not sinful? And how are we all got together? Well, first of all, our sins are covered. Number two, our sins are removed. It's not just good enough that our sins are covered. In my little hypothetical here, you know, Howard can make all the physical stuff right. He can fix the car. He can give Sophie a little fun money. He can apologize, but the air is still stale, right? The, the relationship's kind of been messed up. So, so how can we remove that? That's what God does with us. He removes sin. Now, Leviticus chapter 16, the word kofar is used 102 times in the Old Testament. 13 of those times it's used in Leviticus chapter 16, talking about the day of atonement. And remember, everything in the Old Testament is a type and pattern to get us to teach us what Christ was going to do. That way, on the day of Pentecost, all these Jews that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in, the light bulb went off, and they went, we get it. Everything we've learned since we were kids is <laughs> pointing to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus and what God's doing with him. Okay? Everyone still with me? So, so there were two goats in Leviticus 16 that they would get. They would bring two goats. The first goat would be for covering. They would sacrifice the first goat, drain the blood, and then they would go and pour the blood, apply the blood onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Everyone remember the Ark of the Covenant? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The chest with the two angels pointing at each other. And there, in between the angels was a little platform on the covering, and that was the mercy seat. And inside the chest, anyone remember what was in it? There were three elements that was in it. One was there was a jar of manna. There was also the staff of Aaron that bloomed. And there was the law, the tablets containing the law of Moses. So the very law 
that God wrote saying, this is how you need to live your life if you want to live a righteous life. He covered it in mercy because he knew that none of us could live up to it. Isn't that awesome? He's even trying to demonstrate on his ark. He covered it in mercy and then he would apply blood onto that mercy for atonement. So that goat, that goat drew the short straw. (laughs) He got killed and his blood was applied onto the mercy seat to atone for the sins. Well, here's the problem. You got to clear the air, right? We, we, we got to somehow just get rid of that sin. We, it's been atoned for. It's been paid for. So this is what they would do with the goat that was left. Leviticus 16, 21. Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat. Aaron was the priest at the time. Confess, it all, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all of their transgressions. So all of their internal sins and all of the sins that they physically committed. He would confess those over the head of this goat, which this goat was called the scapegoat. That's where we got the term scapegoat. You ever heard that before? Scapegoat. And, you know, like all of a sudden you do something when you're a kid and you do something with all of your buddies. And then when everyone gets busted, they all go, he did it. Well, what were you? You were the scapegoat. (laughs) Well, it's actually a Hebraic term, right? So he he would lay his hands on his head. He would transfer all the iniquities and transgressions of all of Israel onto this goat concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Isn't that wonderful? Now all of a sudden, not only were the sins atoned for, but now they're removed. They've, they've been cast out of the camp out of the land to an uninhabited place. I love the way David puts it in Psalms. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That way, the next time you wake up and you're like, Lord, I would love to do something for you, but you remember that time I messed up? He'd be like, no, I don't. I don't recall it. God, how can you use that person over there? Because you remember what they did three years ago. No, I don't. What are you talking about? Not only has my blood covered it, but man, I've sent it away. I love that. So you don't understand my past, Pastor. Really? Well, pull it out. Show me. Somebody show me your past today. Is it in your back pocket? Is it in your purse? Do you leave it in your car? Where's your past? Oh, it's up here. Well, that means it's a thought. Just release the thought. Forget about it. He's removed it. Not only has he covered it, he has removed it. That's a pretty good deal. And it's your, say, how can I get in on that? That's a pretty good deal. (laughs) It's free. All you have to do is just believe. Believe. It's free to you but it cost him everything. There was, there was a minister one time who was chatting, he was trying to win over a mine worker. 
and, and he actually went to work with the guy that day. And, and the, the mine worker came from a very legalistic background, and he kept thinking, Pastor, I've done too much bad stuff. You don't understand the penance I would have to pay to get in good with God. And the pastor's trying to tell him, no, it's, it's free to you. He paid the price. The penance has already been paid on the cross. And he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it. He just, and finally, he asked him, he said, well, how, how'd you get down here in the mine today? He goes, oh, I came down the elevator. And he goes, really? That was, that was pretty easy. You just came down the elevator to get into the mine. Yeah, that's what I do every day. Well, surely it had to cost you something. How much did it cost for you to ride that elevator? It didn't cost me a thing. It cost the company a lot of money to install that elevator. And then it clicked. <laughs> the guy got it. For us to walk around one with God, all it didn't cost us anything. We just had to believe. It cost him everything. It cost the father the life of his son. It cost Christ his own life. So this atonement, this freedom, man, when you understand how much it costs and say, hey, I'm, you know, I live under grace. I can go do anything I want. Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And he even said, you know, rhetorically, he said, well, should I go sin some more so that grace can abound all the more? He said, no. Why would you want to frustrate that? If you understood what it cost our Savior to get us into this glorious freedom and this oneness with God, man, you, you don't want to take advantage of it. You want, to, you want to live for him. Finally, number three. God's wrath is removed. Now, so this is what's wonderful about atonement. Are you all still here with me? Everyone's still here? The coffee's still working? At one minute. It means our sins are covered. Our sins are removed. And finally, God's wrath is removed. Now, I know this goes against some things that I've said before because I've often said uh, the wrath, all of the wrath of God was poured out on the cross, right? Jesus took on all the wrath of God. But I, I will say this. God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. Say, what? I can theologically prove that. Well, I thought God, I thought we were living under grace. I thought we were living under mercy. Theologically, I can give you scripture that God is angry with the wicked every day. You ready? Psalm 711. God is angry with the wicked every day. Say, oh man, that I'm in trouble. No, this is the wonderful thing. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you're not wicked. <laughs> He's not going to be angry with you. Why wouldn't you be? Look, anger, there's, anger's not wrong. Anger is an emotion, an emotion, right? The Bible says be angry and sin not. In other words, you can be upset about something. Just don't do the wrong thing about it, right? I'll be honest. I'm angry at the man that rear-ended or the woman or whoever it was. Howard or whoever, the rear ended, <laughs> rear ended my daughter, and then took off. I'm pretty sorry. I'm mad about that. Now I'm not doing anything about it. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, the, the the police are trying to check out uh, some surveillance tapes from a, a gas station. I don't know. Maybe they'll find something. Maybe they won't. Not worried about it. But for a few days, I'm a little irritated. Right? That's just being human. Right? Why wouldn't God be upset? At, at the uh, wicked, you know? Now, here's a neat concept. James 1 and 12 says this. So don't spend your time being mad at, you know, too much time being mad. For the wrath of man, 
does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I'm just going to consume myself for weeks on end with this, whoever this was that hit my daughter and moved on, well, that's not going to, it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. I mean, I just, you know, I'm going to learn to let, let things like that go, right? Move on. But here's the cool concept. While the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the wrath of God does produce the righteousness of man. Because God wanted to be reconciled to us so much. And he understood his, his wrath. Now, we, we misunderstand the word wrath. You know, we think wrath, man, God's got some lightning bolts and he's about to throw them down at us and thunderbolts and just wreck our life because he's, oh, the wrath of God, right? The wrath, wrath in the Greek is translated orge. And it's, uh, it's where we get very mature terms. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> we got some young folk in the room, right? Uh, any, any sensual term that you can think of that would have the term org at the top of it. There you go, all right? Everyone following me? So it means deep, stop cringing, Becca. Stop. <laughs> so it means a teeming, heated passion. Now, that almost flips the concept of the wrath of God around, doesn't it? Say the wrath, God going to unleash his wrath on this planet. Yeah, it means he's, he, he is so in love and so desirous of us that he does want to unleash that kind of heated passion on us, right? That's how much he loves us. So we always say, the wrath of God. No, it's, it's more of, man, the wrath of God. He desires you. He wants you. And he wants you so much that he figured out a way to produce righteousness in you. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? So we all know this word, John 3.16. Before we, before we read this, everyone still with me? We're going to take a really quick consolidated history lesson, okay? I want to talk to you about a guy named Ptolemy II. Ptolemy II. He was a general amongst the Greeks when the Greeks were taking over the world. And he noted in all the different cultures that he got to explore and see that the Hebrews seemed to be more solid and moral than any other culture. And he credited it to their holy scriptures, which would be the Torah or the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? And so he thought, man... Whatever they got, we all need because we need, we got some crazy people out here. They need to learn how to live morally and rightly. And so he sent out a word to all the 12 tribes of Israel that were still in existence. And he said, I need six scholars from each tribe. Send them my way. Now that would be 72 people. Somewhere along the lines, two of them didn't show up or they got sick or I don't know. So he wound up with 70 people. He invited them someplace, and he put them in different quarters and different homes. Matter of fact, uh, some historians said that they didn't even know that anyone else was working on this project. 
So there were 70 Jewish scholars, and he sat them all down individually, and he said, I need you to translate your Torah from the Hebrew to Greek for me. And they all did it, and something miraculous happened, because they did it independent of each other. And when he gathered all these manuscripts, they all matched. Out of 70 people, they translated it into Greek, almost identical. And it's called the Septuagint. Those of you who maybe study the Word of God will know the Septuagint, which is uh, the 70. Sometimes if you read Bible commentaries, it'll say, according to the 70, well, they're talking about these 70 Jewish scholars that translated the Hebrew into Greek, which made it easier for us to translate it into eventually German and English and all that stuff. So, uh, so, so or sometimes you'll see according to the LXX, you know, like the Roman numerals. Now, some of you men are familiar with that because you watch the Super Bowl. So you're like, oh, I'm familiar with these blocky letters. Uh, so, so that is the Septuagint. Well, so when the Septuagint guys were translating the Old Testament to the New Testament, there was no word in the Greek, I'm sorry, the Old Testament to Greek, there was no word in the Greek for atonement, for kofar, right? And they said, man, but we use this word 102 times. We got to figure something in the Greek. And they did this independent of each other. And all 70 of them actually chose a word that was kind of controversial amongst their peers. And that word was in the Greek was, see if I can find it here. Uh, in the Greek, it would be uh, helasmos. In the English, we translate that as propitiation. Okay. So atonement would be a Hebrew term. Propitiation would be a Greek term, right? Now, this is the English translation of both of those terms. Now, the reason why it was controversial is because propitiation was a term used amongst their pagan worship. So you have the Greeks who were rich in this Greek mythology, right? Some really fun stuff to study and makes a lot of cool movies and stories and all that stuff. But if they said, oh, we need... I need to take a propitiation to the temple of Zeus. What it, what it meant was it was a gift that made you favorable. So if you wanted to find a wife, maybe you would go to the temple of Aphrodite and take a propitiation so that she would show favor on you and help you find love because she was the goddess of love, right? So it was a gift that would make you favorable. And so here are these Jewish scholars that really opened up even more this concept of atonement at one mint and used the term propitiation. But what's awesome about it is for us who worship the one true God, we don't have to bring a gift to God to make us favorable. He presents a gift that makes us favorable to him. Isn't that awesome? Rather than us having to earn the favor of a deity, he gifts us with something and says, all right, now you're favored, which is what happened here. For God so loved the world that he propitiated his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him is not going to perish but have everlasting life. That's a pretty, good, pretty cool thing. This First Peter 2.24, who himself, Christ Jesus, bore our sins in his own body 
on the tree. So he bore our transgressions and our infirmities on the cross. What does that sound like? Sounds like the scapegoat. So God, we didn't even have to give the goat up. God gave us a goat, right? He gave us Christ. So I'm going to give you a gift to make you favorable to me. What an incredible God. So he bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I love that. By whose stripes you were healed, not are healed or will be healed, but it's past tense. So if you need healing today, it's already been done. Just pray and ask God to give you grace for the journey until it manifests in your life, okay? Romans 3.25, whom God, talking about Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation, as a gift that gives us favor by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Finally, 1 John 2 and 2, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means even all those groups of people that you think you don't like. Well, guess what? He's their propitiation too. Isn't that awesome? That's a powerful atonement. We are at one with God today. Why? Because he covered us both inside and out. Our sins are covered. Our sins are removed. He didn't just cover them, but he took them and he threw them as far as the east is from the west. And not only that, God's not angry at you. He's given you a gift. And because of your faith in that gift, which is Christ Jesus, it's removed his wrath off of you. He's not angry at you one bit. Matter of fact, his wrath or his passionate desire for you was so great that he gave you a gift, the propitiation or the atonement to bring you into his, his love and his oneness. So now today you get to leave here. You get to walk in oneness with God. You, you get to walk in a place where there's no lack, no limitation. There's always enough. You're enough. Why? Because you're one with God now. Say, well, I have a need in my life. Well, he's got provision for that need. You just got to have faith. Say, well, I've got this challenge. on. Well, he's, he's, got, he's got a plan for that mountain and it's to be removed in your life. No matter what it is you need, he's there. You're in God. You are one with God because of Christ Jesus. If you are dead in Christ, Christ is in God. It means that you are in God. How did I make it there? Because of atonement. He covered me. He removed my sins. And he's no longer wrathful. So you mean God's not mad at me? Even when I don't show up to church? No, he's not mad at you. He ain't never been happier. Amen. Let's all stand. I know that coffee's starting to wear off for some of y'all. Now it's time for some burgers or something. Amen. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for your incredible atonement. What an incredible price and incredible job that you did, that you were wounded for our, our outer sins. You were bruised internally for our inner sins. Thank you that you cast my sins so far out of your own sight and that I have favor in you. I can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Jesus. 
if you're here and you've never, you've, you've never made a decision to live for Jesus, it's one of the easiest things you can ever do. I promise you, if all you have to do is just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that he rose again, that he died for your sins, he rose again on the third day. Ask him to help you live, live for him. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll walk with you. He'll teach you everything the Father has to say about you. Lord, I pray that you make that manifest today. Hallelujah. If you need healing, he has healing for you. If you need provision, he has provision for you. There is no lack, limitation. There is always enough. He said, I am El Shaddai. I am the God of more than enough. We praise you for it, Lord. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that your word doesn't return void. Let it plant deep in our hearts. Let it bear fruit even this week. And help us walk in oneness with you because of your atonement in our life. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.